Today's broadcast was originally recorded on February 5th, 2024. Prior to this, these vulnerabilities had not been broadcast to the world. And I think the concern that we have is that there's a fix available that addresses all nine of these vulnerabilities. And we're not going to install this fix for a presidential primary or for uh, primaries next year or for the general election. And that our answer is, we know that everybody has a copy of the key to the front door. Mm-hmm. We're not going to change the locks because mm-hmm. we can catch them before they get out the back. Mm-hmm. And I think the worst case scenario, that there is a there is a hack, on a, even if it's on a single machine, and that we catch it, that means that we had an actual hack that has happened. So rather than, than changing the key on the front door, we're hoping that we catch them before they get out the back door. Mm. And I think that that hope is, is actually, if it were to play itself out that way, would be a negative. Yes. Yes, it would be a negative. Oh, Georgia, we love you. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you I am From Pacifica Radio in rainy Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast. That's heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Fairmont, West Virginia on WEFR, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans. NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, now celebrating 20 years of muckraking, troublemaking, and broadcasting over your public airwaves. Welcome to the Bradcast. Well, the long-awaited federal trial in Georgia, which we have been reporting on now for years on this program, has finally come to an end. That would not be the uh, criminal indictment against Donald Trump and 18 co-conspirators in Fulton County, Georgia, for trying to steal the 2020 election, but the long-running federal civil suit seeking to force the critical battleground state of Georgia to dump its unverifiable touchscreen voting systems in favor of verifiable hand-marked paper ballots before the 2024 election. We will be joined momentarily in studio by a central player in that lawsuit uh, during the trial over which the plaintiffs 
experts actually demonstrated in court how every one of Georgia's voting machines can be hacked with a simple ballpoint pen in about seven seconds. That, even as Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger continues to fight against the replacement of those systems with hand-marked paper ballots in favor of these god-awful, wildly dangerous touchscreen systems made by Dominion, which he refused to even upgrade with security patches made by Dominion before this year's election. Anyway, Susan Greenhall, who was in court for much of the uh, trial, joins us live in studio momentarily. First up, some quick news, including some local news today. Uh, Although I've heard from a lot of folks around the nation who are concerned as L.A. and Southern California seem to be uh, in the news. That thanks to torrential rains that are finally beginning to taper off a little bit at this hour, though not before some 38 million uh, on or near the West Coast have been placed under flood alerts and warnings overnight. As reported by the New York Times today, California residents dodged mud and debris on wet canyon roads on Monday as officials surveyed the damage from a ferocious atmospheric river that continued to dump rain on the region. Nearly half a million homes and businesses in the state remained without power as of noon on Monday. The relentless downpour stalled over over the Los Angeles region where officials warned in a midday update that the rain was expected to intensify again and continue through the night. So it ain't over yet. Eight to 14 inches of rain could fall on Monday in parts of Southern California, potentially matching L.A.'s average annual rainfall total, which is 14 inches. But this all came in a single day. Officials warned of the potential for more flooding and mudslides, as well as drivers across the city here encountering blocked roads and rising floodwaters. Be careful out there. More than 10 inches of rain has been recorded uh, by noon in the L.A. neighborhood of Bel Air. The Hollywood Hills were reportedly inundated with morning traffic. Crawling past fallen trees and mud on the narrow roadways, rain totals in downtown L.A. passed six inches, smashing a century-old daily rainfall record for this date, according to the National Weather Service. Parts of the Santa Monica Mountains received more than seven inches of rain, spawning mudslides that covered canyons in and out of Malibu. And in L.A.'s Studio City neighborhood, firefighters evacuated at least six people from their homes. It's not only Southern California. uh, Up in Northern California, an 82-year-old man was killed by a falling redwood in his Yuba City backyard as the storm swept through on Sunday, drenching the region and toppling trees, blocking streets in San Francisco. Joe Serrard, a meteorologist with the National Weather Service, up in Oxnard, that's just north of L.A., said, uh, quote, we've got more rain coming, heavy rain through the overnight hours, plus the existing rain that we've had, plus the rain we had earlier this week. So it's pretty soggy out here. Be careful out there. Folks are advised 
uh, still to stay indoors if they can. Desi Doyen, our uh, broadcast producer and managing editor of our Green News Report feature, uh, though the uh, New York Times didn't mention it in their latest update summary, any idea what could be going on here? <laughs> well, first of all, we should probably talk about what atmospheric rivers are. Uh-huh. Those are long, narrow highways of moisture that form in the tropics of the Pacific Ocean, um, and they they actually go up about ten to 15,000 feet above the surface. They travel thousands of miles and are are responsible for about 30 to 50 percent of the wet season precipitation along the west coast of the United States. So a strong atmospheric river to give you a sense of the volume of water, of moisture, of water vapor they contain. So the volume of an atmospheric river can transport water vapor that is equivalent roughly to 7 to 15 times the average flow of water at the mouth of the Mississippi River. Really? Yes, and so it can dump quite a bit of moisture. Now, climate change is adding to even to the intensity of these atmospheric rivers. Mm-hmm. It adds even more moisture because ocean temperatures right now are at record highs, which means the water is evaporating faster. Um, so we might get an atmospheric river, whether there's climate change or not, but an atmospheric river is made worse because of the warming of the atmosphere, the warming of the ocean, and the additional Exactly. Moisture. A warmer atmosphere also holds more mm-hmm. moisture, which means it can dump for every degree of warming. It can dump that much more moisture. So um, this is something that I think we should be aware of, continues to happen, and will happen more frequently as climate scientists have projected with global warming accelerating. So we're going to get more of these and worse of these as things move forward. Now, of course, California is still in a very long-term severe drought, and there is a snow drought in the snowpack of the Sierra Nevada mountains. So hopefully this atmospheric river and any others that come this season will build up that snowpack and uh, also refill all of our reservoirs. But some of them are going to be pushing their limitations with Mm. this particular atmospheric river. Well, thank you very much, uh, Des. Yes, everyone, uh, be careful out there. Uh, This is going to be continuing for a bit. Uh, In other quick news, before we get to our guest today, momentarily, there has, as usual, been quite a bit of news since we last spoke to you on this program. On Friday, some 85 targets in Iraq and Syria said to be outposts for Iranian-backed militia groups were bombed by the U.S. in retaliation for the drone attack just over a week ago or so that resulted in the deaths of three U.S. service members and the serious injuries to more than 50 others as uh, they were stationed in Jordan. The, uh, uh, The White House has said the brief, if broad, yet targeted attacks were just the beginning of our retaliation campaign in the Middle East in what many worry could spiral into a larger military engagement in the region, After hostilities were sparked by the October 7 Hamas attack on Israel, which killed about 1,200, and Israel's subsequent so far unrelenting attack on the Gaza Strip, resulting in the reported deaths of more than 27,000, the majority of whom are reported to be women and children. On Saturday, Joe Biden easily won the first in the nation Democratic presidential primary in South Carolina this year as he faces no serious challengers to his nomination, apparently. As of this hour, in what was naturally a small turnout contest, President Biden reportedly received more than 96 percent of the votes on Saturday in the primary with self-help guru Marianne Williamson and Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips splitting the other 4% 
between them both. Biden therefore picked up all 55 delegates available on Saturday. No delegates were awarded to either Phillips or Williamson, who uh, between them received fewer than 5,000 votes as compared to Biden's more than 125,000. Also on Friday in Donald Trump news, federal district judge Tanya Chutkin removed Trump's March 4th trial start date from the docket in his federal indictment for his multiple attempts to steal the 2020 election, including on January 6, 2021, when he incited an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. The judge said the trial date would be rescheduled, quote, if or when, unquote, the uh, three-judge federal appeals court panel decides the ridiculous question of whether presidents have absolute immunity from any and all crimes carried out while serving in office, as Donald Trump has argued, allowing a president to legally murder their own political opponents, as Trump argued in court. Uh, they will wait until uh, the, the uh, trial will have to wait until that uh, three-judge panel finally issues their ruling and or the Supreme Court gets an additional crack at it, all of which could delay that trial, as Trump is hoping, until after the November presidential election, when, if he is successful and wins, he'll be able to make all of these criminal cases simply go away. And in New York, also on Friday, New York Superior Court Judge Arthur N. Goron apparently postponed issuing his ruling in Trump's $370 million fraud case for another two weeks or so, after having originally said he expected to issue his ruling by the end of January, that delay is reportedly related to the fact that the Trump Organization's chief financial officer, longtime CFO Alan Weisselberg, is reportedly in talks with Manhattan prosecutors regarding a possible perjury plea deal after it appears that he lied on the stand about his involvement with the wildly inflated size of Donald Trump's Trump Tower apartment. For years, Trump had uh, claimed in his financial statements when applying for loans that the apartment was an absurd 30,000 square feet. In fact, it was only a little less than 11,000 square feet. The matter is reportedly one of the factors delaying Judge Ngoron's final ruling in a case that is likely to result in hundreds of millions of dollars in penalties and uh, to uh, Trump and his uh, organization and his two eldest uh, sons, and potentially the banning of Trump from the real estate industry in New York for life. And that trial in Georgia that I mentioned at the top of the show, the one that hasn't received virtually any of the attention of the national media by and large, though arguably it should, since the results of this year's presidential election in Georgia may very well hinge on that trial. That trial, in a case that was initially filed back in 2017, seven years ago, challenging the use of the 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems at every single polling place in Georgia, as mandated by the Secretary of State there, Brad Raffensperger, against the recommendations of virtually every serious cybersecurity and voting machine expert in the nation, that trial finally came to an end last week. And as we wait for a ruling um, 
uh, down there to learn whether or not voters will get to vote on verifiable hand-marked paper ballots in the Peach State this year at the polling place. One of the plaintiff's advisors joins us live here in studio to discuss how the trial went and what the court made of the fact that plaintiffs demonstrated to the judge during the trial how every touchscreen voting system in the state can be hacked in about seven seconds with little more than a ballpoint pen. That amazing story and plaintiff's advisor Susan Greenhall of Free Speech for People joins us next live in studio right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, it's Brad. Well, we are here in another critical presidential election year. We cover elections like no other outlet in the nation. This election year will be a big one like none other. It could even be the last one, depending on how it goes. Seriously. Please help the broadcast continue in this critical election year. Support our work right now with a generous donation via bradblog.com slash donate. Help keep the broadcast and bradblog.com free for all. We couldn't do any of this without you. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate right now. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. You're listening to an encore presentation Georgia. of the Bradcast. Georgia, mm-hmm. the whole day through, just an old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind. Yeah, actually, they're on my mind, uh, but not because of their old sweet songs. It's because of their terrible new voting systems. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Five of the co-defendants charged along with Donald Trump in his criminal felony conspiracy indictment down in Georgia related to his many attempts to steal the state's 2020 election are related Uh, to the days-long breach and copy and distribution beginning on January 7, 2021, by Republican activists of the state's exceedingly sensitive statewide voting system and tabulation software used at the polls across the entire battleground state. Now, you likely first heard about the so-called Coffee County breach on this program when we were the first to play the audio over your public airwaves of a phone call placed by Atlanta bail bondsman Scott Hall to our friend Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance, essentially bragging about having participated in the unprecedented breach of voting system software in Georgia with Trump attorney Sidney Powell and others beginning on the day after the unprecedented Trump-incited insurrection at the U.S. Capitol the day prior. You know, I'm the guy that chartered the jet to go down to Coffee County to have them inspect all of those computers. And they scanned all the equipment, imaged all the hard drives. They imaged the hard drives? Yes. How in the world did you get permission to do that? We basically had the entire elections committee there. Okay. And they said, we give you permission. Go for it. (laughs) 
Way to go, Scott Hall. Anyway, we learned about the Coffee County breach, along with much of the rest of the nation and prosecutors in Fulton County, Georgia, who would eventually bring charges against five of the participants in that breach. Both Hall and Sidney Powell have since pleaded guilty to related charges. All of that thanks to Marilyn Marks, who was quick thinking enough to hit the record button on that call that she received from Hall. Marks, a frequent guest on this program over the years, and her nonpartisan nonprofit Coalition for Good Governance was and is one of the plaintiffs in a long-running federal civil lawsuit against the state of Georgia and its Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. The plaintiffs in the case, known as Curling v. Raffensperger, was filed way back in 2017, long before Team Trump decided to pretend to care about election integrity. That case seeks to bar the use of the wildly hackable, incredibly sensitive, insecure, and unverifiable touchscreen voting systems made by Dominion and forced for use on all voters at every polling place across the entire state. The curling plaintiffs seek to bar the use of those systems for all but voters who may need to use them because they are disabled. They hope to replace those systems with verifiable hand-marked paper ballots, like those used in the majority of the rest of the nation. That lawsuit successfully resulted in the ban of Georgia's 20-year-old Diebold touchscreen systems way back in 2019, only to see Secretary Raffensperger replace those systems against the advice of cybersecurity and voting system experts with the newer but similarly flawed touchscreen voting systems made by Dominion, with which the curling plaintiffs then filed a motion to remove from use as well. During the process of that lawsuit, voting system and security expert Dr. J. Alex Halderman of the University of Michigan, on behalf of the plaintiffs, he was allowed to examine those Dominion touchscreen systems, the ones used in Georgia. He was able to examine them for any insecurities or vulnerabilities. He found so many that were so troubling to the judge overseeing the case, U.S. District Judge Amy Totenberg, that for a time she completely sealed his expert report, even from the plaintiff's team. Meanwhile, Raffensperger and his Secretary of State's office did not bother to seek review of that sealed report, as far as we could tell, even as they dismissed it as nonsense. They said that voters would never have the sort of physical access to voting machines the way that Halderman did. However, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, well, they were very alarmed. They were very interested in Halderman's report. They received permission from the judge to review it and subsequently issued a nationwide alert to all jurisdictions who use those Dominion touchscreen voting systems to immediately upgrade their software in hopes of mitigating against the most pressing threats offered by those systems. As we also broke on this program, attorneys representing the Secretary of State in the curling case shocked the court by telling the judge that the state would not be upgrading the software with, a, with the recommended security patches until after the critical 2024 presidential election in a key swing state. The secretary's office stood by its assessment, counter to the experts at CISA, that there 
physical security of those voting machines, the, the touchscreen ballot marking devices, essentially a $4,000 pen, would prevent any sort of exploitation of the state's voting system. Here was Georgia election director Blake Evans just last November telling the Georgia State Senate Ethics and Elections Committee that there was nothing to worry about in Halderman's report and that the state could simply ignore CISA's urgent warning to upgrade the voting systems immediately. You can't gain access like Alex had in his report um, to be able to uh, to be able to um, make adjustments to a ballot marking device. You can't gain that level of access. So when we talk about the the CISA advisory, um, you know, I felt very confident that the what we had in place mitigated those risks and kept our system secure. Yeah, you can't let gain that level of access. Really? Again, that was the Georgia elections, the state election director, Blake Evans, in November of just last year, long after the days-long breach in Coffee County back in early 2021 proved his point to be completely wrong. Yes, you can gain that level of access. In fact, a whole bunch of people did years ago. And if that wasn't enough to prove Blake Evans wrong, the trial in the curling case finally got underway last month. As we told you about some weeks ago, as we were joined by Marilyn Marks of the coalition late last year and Susan Greenhall, longtime election security advocate from freespeechforpeople.org and an advisor on the case, she joined us just before the trial began in early January. One of the witnesses called to the stand at that trial over the last few weeks of course, was the state election director, Blake Evans, who was asked about his false testimony to the Georgia State Senate, saying, oh, nothing to worry about. You can't gain that level of access. From the trial transcript, here's plaintiff's attorney David Cross questioning Evans on this point. Question, by Alex, you mean Dr. Alex Halderman? Answer from Blake Evans, that's correct. And again, this was in November of 2023, you said this? Answer, yes. Question, and fair to say that was what you said. There is not a, really an accurate statement what you said there, is it, sir? Answer, well, I'm not aware of anybody who has gotten the level of access that he has, that Alex Holderman has, that he has gotten to any of the equipment for the extended period of time. That's really what I meant. Because of the laws and the state elections board rules that are in place and the job that the county election officials do... Question from the attorney. You specifically said you can't gain access to the election management server. That's the, that's the brains of the whole system. You were very precise, right? Answer, correct. Question, but you were aware as of November 2023 when you provided this testimony that several individuals had gotten direct access to the election management server in its operational environment in Coffee County day after day after day. Evans answers, yes, I was aware. Question. He examined a standalone BMD, a ballot marking device, a touchscreen voting machi uh, machine. He examined a standalone BMD detached from the election system. You understand that, right? Answer, I do. Question. So you understand that... Is it your view that Dr. Halderman, with a standalone BMD in a conference room 
has greater access than individuals sitting at an election management server in the operational environment of a county election office day after day after day? Well, answer, no. I don't disagree with that. Question. So, as the state election director... No one has informed you the degree to which the individuals who went to Coffee County day after day received all of the passwords they needed? From the county's then-election director, Misty Hampton, who, by the way, has since been charged, along with Trump and the rest, in the Fulton County RICO conspiracy case. No one has told you that? The attorney, David Cross, asked the state election director in Georgia. He conceded, quote, maybe they have. Again, the lawyer continued, you also said that you can't gain access like Alex had in his report to be able to make adjustments to a ballot marking device. You can't gain that level of accent. Is it your understanding that in Coffee County, no one got access to any BMD software either? Answer, no, I knew they had. Question, as the state election director, what concerns you more? An expert who got access to a standalone ballot marking device by court order under security protocols or numerous individuals doing what they did in Coffee County? Answer from Blake Evans, the election director, the Coffee County instance. We spoke with Susan Greenhall on this program in early January for a bit of a curtain raiser before the trial began in which Dr. Halderman was called as one of the plaintiff's star witnesses who, in court, buckle up for this, actually demonstrated a hack of one of those BMDs, the Dominion touchscreen ballot marking devices, a hack to show that it could be hacked in a matter of seconds with the use of a single ballpoint pen. Well, that trial now has finally wrapped up about a week ago, and as we wait for the judge's decision in it about whether hackable touchscreen voting systems will be used anyway in Georgia this year for the presidential election, after a team representing the leading Republican candidate actually breached those systems more than three years ago, well, after all that, we are joined again today, this time live in studio by Free Speech for People Senior Advisor on Election Security and, as noted, longtime election transparency and security advocate who advised Marilyn Marks and the Coalition for Good Governance throughout the course of this long lawsuit. Susan Greenhall, in person, welcome back to the broadcast. And by the way, welcome to sunny California. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Isn't it beautiful out? Glad. Um, great timing. <laughs> uh, so first, Susan, tell me about the hack that was demonstrated in court, because you would have thought this would be national news, frankly. Uh, such as it is, I barely heard about it. I had to find out about the details from you. Tell me about this uh, hack that was demonstrated in court during the trial by Alex Halderman of the uh, Georgia Touchscreen voting BMD system. Yeah, it was it was pretty um, uh, impressive, I'd say. And I I, I, preface, I want to preface this by saying mm -hmm. this also helped to kind of expose the lack of understanding that um, people like Mr. Blake Edward uh, Evans, Evans, yeah. Evans and other um, state mm -hmm. election uh, officials in Georgia have uh, the lack of understanding that they have of cybersecurity, of the vulnerabilities of these systems, not just in his 
in, in what you had presented in his mm-hmm. denial of the level of access that people actually can achieve um, like they did in Coffee County. But um, in this hack, uh, what Alex was able to do was to depress the on-off button for five seconds, which sent the system into providing what's called a safe mode and mm-hmm. then provides super user access, which means you get access to the underlying operating system and you can change any software in the device without any passwords, without any other um, provisions. Now, But but they put all kinds of seals on this, physical protection. You can't just go and stick your finger uh, to the back of the machine and press that button for five seconds, right? You shouldn't be able to, except – and they do have seals and they do have – other tamper evident mm-hmm. protections right. to keep you from being able to open up the doors and the different um, areas where you might legally access that button. Mm-hmm. But there is also a hole in the back of the chassis uh, um, where the power cables come out and you can stick a pen back in through that hole because it is large enough that it can accommodate both the cords and the and a pen, reach that button, and obtain super user access. Um, and so what was... Super user access. Super user access, pretty self-evident in the name. <laughs> what was shocking to me, and this was a theme that kept coming up during the, the course of the trial, was that when um, the state election director, Evans was asked about Alex's hack, he admitted that he did not know that he could achieve that super user access, that he could access that button without breaking the seals. He was under the misimpression, apparently because he had not read Alex's report uh-huh. with any um, thoroughness, that he that Alex would have had to break the seals. So that is one of the, the talking points Secretary of State's office often brings up is you can't access the machines without breaking the seals. We would know. We would catch it through logic and accuracy testing. We would know because of other security precautions we have in place like post-election audits. Mm-hmm. But if you read Alex's report, he says very clearly, I got super user access using this pen without breaking the seals. I can also insert malware, which would defeat logic and accuracy testing. I can do other things that would not be caught be caught by um, risk-limiting audits. So they are wedded to these talking points to dismiss and discredit the cybersecurity expertise, which are warning them about the security vulnerabilities of the system. And then when they're confronted with the facts that show them that um, – you know, that was shown in court, mm-hmm. that their talking points are untrue. They did not back down. And through the course of the lawsuit, or sorry, through the trial, we continued to see the same talking points popping up in press <laughs> um, interviews, even though they had to face the fact that they were not actually um, had any merit in the, the course of the trial, and they still repeated them. It's It's an incredible case of denial. And I have to say, you know, we have seen this uh, – you and I have both been doing this now for, what, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. at this point. And we have seen this from election officials over the years whenever you point out, oh, you know what? If you reach around the back of that Sequoia touchscreen system and hold down the button or press it twice, X, Y, Z will happen. And they say, well, yeah, but you can't do it. They can't get physical uh, access. We, we have these uh, these tamper evidence seals. And then you have guys like Alex Halderman, who's also been doing this for 15, 20 years, who says, nope, that's wrong. Let me show you how I can hack this system without violating those seals. 
And yet you still have election officials in, where are we, 2024, making the claim that everything is fine. We have these this physical protection. We have these seals. Nobody could get in. You're saying that even in court, even after they showed them, demonstrated to the judge, and there's no jury in this case, right? It's a, a bench trial just before the, the judge. That's right. They demonstrated this hack, and yet the state officials then go out and talk to the media and say, yeah, 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 they did that in court, but it could never happen because we have tamper evidence seals. Yeah. They, they're they not going to give up those talking points no matter how <laughs> – uh, con- how much they're contradicted by the facts. Now, did they, in the court, did the state, when they presented their case, did they respond to this hack? Did they show how what Halderman had done, how he had hacked these machines, couldn't possibly actually happen? What was their response to this? Um, they, they, they didn't really say that the hack... Well, another interesting point from... Mr. Evans was that Uh he didn't even understand what super user access would get you. So if he read the report and and said, well, he was asked, you know what this means. He didn't understand the severity of what gaining super access user means. So there's there's part of that problem that that there's not a there's an incuriosity, which is damaging. But um, I think in I'm trying to recall if there was really a defense. I think it was more that it would be really hard to do it in a polling location while people were there and not get caught because there's a there the machines are mm-hmm. are sort of uh go, have um screens around three sides of them mm-hmm. but the issue is not so much doing it in a polling location it's that during early voting in the weeks before voting starts mm-hmm. the machines are delivered to various public places libraries schools hospitals apartment buildings they're left there overnight they're left there unguarded there was an incident that was recently reported to the state election board where there were a bunch of voting machines at a gymnasium at yep. a local high school. Um, they had been left. The voting machines were in the middle of the basketball court and people came at night, I think, to play intramural basketball. Yep. They just moved the machines to the side. So it's it's the machines that are left there. Somebody can stick the, a pen in those machines, gain super user access and do and stuff to them. Do stuff with with the super user access. Does it only allow you to change some value on that machine or, or are you able to uh, affect other voting machines above and beyond that single machine? In that individual, that type of hack that mm-hmm. Alex uh, demonstrated, that would be one machine at a time. Mm-hmm. But he does have – he demonstrate or he didn't de- uh, demonstrate in this court, but he has – um, done a proof of concept of of being able to attack a system from the election management system, mm-hmm. which is what they accessed in Coffee, Coffee County, County, where the um, where you could uh, in- infect the system with malware, which would propagate to all the BMDs within that county. Potentially, you could also do it, presumably, at the Secretary of State's office level, where it could propagate much further. But you know, elections can be close. You don't need to change a lot of uh, machines to impact a. Yeah, a national, a statewide, or even a national election. Yeah, and as we've learned, you actually don't need to hack any votes 
to be able to go out and make the claim that the election has been hacked and you can get people to believe you. And when you have a system like this, like the one they use across the entire state of Georgia, not that it's an important state in the presidential election or anything, but when you have a system like this, you can go out and make these claims and you can say, yeah, Alex Halderman, you know, told everyone in the trial how you could hack it with a pen. And 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 that's what hundreds and thousands of people did. Good luck proving they didn't do it. There's been a lot of uh, well, there's been very little reporting really on this uh, trial. Unfortunately, transcripts have recently been released um, or recently published. Uh, but reporter Tim Pratt, just after the plaintiffs rested their case about a week or so ago, a week and a half ago, uh, he reported on the Holderman hack uh, in court, noting the, the, the one involving the, the pen to hold the machine's power switch down. Um, and he reports Georgia Tech computer science professor Richard DeMillo also a repeated guest on this program, told Pratt uh, that at that point, you've taken over the machine and you can install software or crash the machine. Despite Halderman's demonstration, Pratt reports the state treated the vulnerabilities as, quote, theoretical, according to DeMillo. State election of, uh, officials countered that such a hack has never happened in an, in an actual Georgia election, which Halderman acknowledged, conceding he had found no evidence of fraud or hack to date um, via the vulnerabilities that he demonstrated. But uh, DeMillo said the state responded stupidly. In engineering, if there's a bad bolt on a bridge, it is going to collapse someday. The fact that it hasn't doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, you were in court, uh, Susan Greenhall, for a bunch of this uh, trial along with DeMillo. D did the state present any evidence from cybersecurity experts or at least, you know, explain who oversees security on these systems in the state, obviously, or at least hopefully, is not Blake Evans, the state election director. No, um, Mr. Evans admitted that he is not in charge of cybersecurity for elections. There was a a bit of a, a who's on first um, a, a routine that, mm -hmm. that went on where Mr. Evans said, it's not me. I'm the state election director. I deal with administration. That would go to our our CIO or chief information officer. Uh -huh. That person would be responsible for, for cybersecurity. That person said, um, uh, no, it's not me because I deal with the networks for the secretary of state's office. And that's a broader thing. The machines, they're dealt with at the Center for Election Security. That's a gentleman named Michael Barnes. He handles that. So he handles cybersecurity uh -huh. for the machines. When he was asked, he he said, well, I don't actually deal with the cybersecurity of the machines. I just program the ballot files for each election. Cybersecurity would be handled either by the CIO or by Dominion. We've Dominion, the company who makes the machines that were vulnerable in the first place. Yes, essentially outsourced the cybersecurity of the machines to Dominion. They, they finally landed on that um, as their answer in, in the court. So... Um, there is nobody within the Secretary of State's office who has taken responsibility for cybersecurity, yet they are making decisions regarding the cybersecurity of the machines. Um, but it, these are administrators, as as you've uh -huh. seen. Um, interestingly— Not the, just decisions, but also in they're making insistence that these are all secure. They're secure, and that Alex Halderman's report is, as Gabe Sterling famously called it, a load of crap, <laughs> which he said even before he had read it. Right. Um, 
Blake Evans also was caught up in, and I don't know if you saw this in the transcript, it mm-hmm. was very interesting. Um, Dominion gives recommendations that when you're um, applying a certain security key in your administration of elections that you should use a different key for every machine mm-hmm. and with a different password to protect the security in a live election. And it was proven and shown that Georgia does not do that. And they were asked, why? Why are you not? If Dominion isn't supposed to be guiding you in your cybersecurity and they're giving you this recommendation regarding cybersecurity, you've chosen to ignore it, make your own determination. We are not going to take this best practice regarding cybersecurity. We're going to use the same password for all the machines within one county. Um, so it, it it didn't look good, I'll just say. No, it was not a good look for look the good. state. <laughs> no, I mean, it sounds to me like nobody is in charge of cybersecurity for a state. And by the way, it's one of the few... Um, left who actually use these computer uh, touches, godforsaken computer touchscreens across the entire state. Um, thankfully, folks like you, Susan, have have you know turned back a lot of those systems. But in Georgia, a- again, a key state in the presidential election in 2020, likely to be again in 2024. They use these systems across the entire state, every single polling place. I think there's something like 35,000 of these touchscreen machines that are deployed on Election Day. Uh, and yet the state can't even agree on who's in charge of security. And, well, they ultimately agreed it wasn't them. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was Dominion. It, it was, was Dominion. the company. Okay, so – did they bring Dominion in? Did somebody from Dominion come into the trial and explain why everything's fine? We shouldn't worry about being able to hack the machine with a big pen. No, there was nobody. Nobody testified from Dominion, um, and it's it's it it's a little bit fox guarding the hen house because, as you mentioned. The Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency of CISA, the Department of Homeland Security, issued this advisory warning about the cybersecurity vulnerabilities in the system following Alex Halderman's report. Mm-hmm. So the state had had a responsibility to respond to that. And uh, ostensibly, it seems, as all they did was say to Dominion, here, you take care of it, the same people that they've just paid over $100 million for the system. So uh-huh. does Dominion... For the systems that don't work, right? For the but, systems yeah. that have these vulnerabilities yep. as determined by the cybersecurity... St- CISA, let's yeah. call them CISA. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... They can't agree on who it is that runs the security. They say it's Dominion. Dominion does not come in to testify. Above all of this, in theory, is the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, the great hero who, remember Donald Trump called him and said, we just need to find 11,780 votes. And Brad Raffensperger stood up to him, said, I can't do that. The great hero, Brad Raffensperger, surely he came in to this trial and explained what was going on, put everyone in court at ease. No. What? He he had been uh, – the, the plaintiffs had tried to get him to come in and testify. Uh-huh. The state objected to his – Wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Keep the going. The state objected to Computer his problems. See? Never rely on – yeah. I, I get it. The state of – I thought I was getting some um, atmosphere <laughs> music for the, for so the story. Yeah. Um, the state uh, 
refused or objected. They filed a motion um, to prevent him from having to testify. The uh, judge ruled that he did need to testify. She felt that it was important that he um, respond because there were certain things that only he could respond to. And Mm -hmm. in depositions, his uh, top level staff was saying, well, the secretary made that decision. Um, and then the state appealed it to the 11th Circuit, and she she ruled he would only have to be there for 75 minutes. It wasn't something huge in position. Right. Um, and he appealed to the 11th Circuit, and the 11th Circuit said, no, he does not have to uh, show up. Just And that was just days before the trial and was that, to begin. And that was days before. And yeah. for people who have read his book, um, not myself, but he did say something in his book about how if you want to know the truth about something, you have yes. to go to court where people are sworn under oath. And then when it push came to shove, he would not step up and do that himself, which was really unfortunate. Um, yeah, but well, I, that's I just a nice have to, way to put it. Yes. I have to say that yeah. I think there is this. Um, uh, unfortunately, wide, or maybe widespread assumption that he is a democracy hero because he did not commit a felony and steal an election for Donald Trump. And I will argue that is a very low bar. And yes. I do not give out brownies for that. Yeah, I know. And that's what is amazing to me. And I think there's a lot of Democrats who uh, think, oh, Raffensperger is a good guy. He, he didn't allow Trump to steal the election. Uh, I think media believe that, and I, he maybe he is a good guy. But from all the evidence that I have seen over the years in this case, uh, he lies. He doesn't tell the truth. He didn't tell the truth about when he learned about Coffee County. That has changed. His story there has changed time and time again. Uh, there was seems to have been no real uh, investigation done of Coffee County by Brad Raffensperger. Um, a lot of there's been a lot of inconsistencies. That's a and nice court, way to put it. Yeah. The court has called out the state for it, a quote unquote inconsistent candor. Inconsistent candor. There you go. Uh, so regarding that inconsistent candor, were you able to get a sense in the courtroom? You were there for a bunch of days of the trial. Were you able to get a sense of what the judge, uh, where the judge is on this? How she is, since it's up to her, not a jury. Any idea is she was she favoring the, the the plaintiffs the defendants any any sense you got Yeah, I can't really speculate on that. I will say that as a as a plaintiffs um, a consultant, mm-hmm. I'm I'm biased, so right. I, I I will say I think the plaintiffs put on an extraordinarily um, strong case, um, and the state did not, and they were also in adequate in rebutting the the points that the plaintiffs made. There was new information that mm-hmm. surfaced in this trial as well, which I thought was very, very compelling. And um, and as far as discrediting this, the state further, um, even though they'd already been found to be somewhat inconsistent. Um, so I, I am you know, fingers crossed, believe mm-hmm. that the plaintiffs should prevail, but I, I can't get in the side, side of the head of the judge. Well, if they do prevail... Um, you know, we're already into February. Georgia's primary is on Super Tuesday, I think March mm-hmm. 5th. 
So I, I assume that any decision that the judge might make, if it if it is in favor of of the plaintiffs, uh, you know, even a good decision, it's it's too late for that. I would think to change the March fifth, the way they vote on March fifth. I don't know. You can correct correct me, but is it too late for that? Uh, even if she did mandate the use of hand marked paper ballots, is it too late for the November election to be able to do that? Yeah, and I think March March primary is not realistic to weeks expect. away at yeah this point. so yeah. that that's not really um possible but um i don't think it's um uh, unreasonable to be able to change for the november election because the scanners that they currently use in georgia can count handmarked paper ballots uh-huh. so they can use the same equipment that they have to scan and count paper ballots that does not need to be replaced it does not need to be upgraded um, they can use the same machines that aggregate totals and report results. None mm-hmm. of that has to be changed. Nobody needs to be retrained. All of that stays exactly as the same. And Georgia has provisions in its law right now that require handmarked paper ballots to be used in an emergency, mm-hmm. which means that the state already has to preprint 10% mm-hmm. uh, 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 enough ballots for 10% of the registered voters in every jurisdiction for emergency paper ballots, distribute them and train poll workers and mm-hmm. how you give people paper ballots, how they mark them, and how they are then scanned and counted. That already is in place. So all they need to do is print more paper ballots mm-hmm. and not deliver all the BMDs, which is a huge task in itself. Yeah. That's the Those BMDs are big. They have with them, it's a ballot marking device plus the printer. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of equipment. You have to Store it, put it on trucks. It's like a printer for each of these for each individual machine. Um, Now you don't have to deal with all that equipment. So it's actually, um, I think, quite reasonable. It's just lifting out the ballot marking devices for everybody. So they could do it if they wanted to do it. They wanted to, sure. They don't want to. Clearly, they don't want to. Uh, And they don't even want to investigate what happened in Coffee County, it seems. All of these uh, years later, it seems like there's been no real investigation by uh, 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 Raffensperger. And they actually called at one point Marilyn Marks herself onto the stand. The defense called her on the stand. Is that what that was? And blamed her somehow for Coffee County? Yeah, this was it was a it was pretty creative stretch. Um, so <laughs> as you played the call, Marilyn had received a phone call from this um, character Scott Hall. Uh-huh. Um, he had been quite aggressive with her on the phone, th- somewhat threatening to her. So she felt that she needed to record the phone call, and that's what she did. And mm-hmm. so she was able to um, get catch that uh, admission that he made that mm-hmm. they had gone into Coffee County. Um, that. She did try to bring attention to that. Um, they, The state got the copy of the phone call in February of 2022, um, made a big fuss that they should have been given to them in advance, um, and but then proceeded to not investigate um, until September of 2022, when after not investigating from February to September, the Secretary of State's office turned the investigation, quote unquote, over to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, who then took it up and proceeded to do what they did. But when I say not investigated, I mean that their investigator got up on the stand and under oath said, I was told to hold off and not investigate. And wow. he was asked specifically, so did you perform any investigation activities? 
No. Did anyone else? No, not to my knowledge. There was no investigation. No, there was no investigation. So the idea that Marilyn Marks had somehow prevented the state Secretary of State's office from investigating this sooner is positively ludicrous. Um, she prevented them from not investigating it sooner for, is what for it not doing like. anything yeah. for doing nothing sooner. Yes. Um, but more importantly, there's there's a couple of other things that are worth noting is that first, in 2020, end of 2020 and 2021, there were a series of things that happened that started to point fingers to Coffee County that I think any reasonably curious election official who was um, committed to protecting their systems would have started to investigate anyway. Yeah. We can get into those if you want to. But there were also other places and this is new information that surfaced from the trial, is that there were other attempts to gain access to mm. systems in other counties in Georgia that we now know about. And there are some questions about maybe there was access in some of them. And that would include, we've got to get out here, unfortunately, but I know that there was reports uh, of attempted access above and beyond Coffee County in Spalding, Bucks, Ware, and Bartow counties. That's right. I think. Um so uh, so these systems are vulnerable, even the ones that they know happen in Coffee County. However, the state just continues to deny, to deny, deny, deny as we barrel towards Super Tuesday in Georgia and the November election in this critical battleground state. We will obviously continue. We followed it all these years. Uh, why stop now? We'll keep our eyes on this. Uh, any idea when a, a, a verdict may be forthcoming from the judge? Um, I have no idea. No guess. No guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hopefully it's soon. Hopefully it's sooner than some of these other judges and some of these other uh, trials. But we will see. Uh, Susan Greenhall, uh, long time, as we like to call her, indefatigable election integrity uh, and transparency expert. Uh, now, Senior Advisor on Election Security at FreeSpeechForPeople.org. Delighted for you uh, to come in and join us in studio. Thank you so much. Sorry we didn't have more sun for you, but we call the rain liquid sunshine around here. So it's thank my you pleasure for everything. As you can find uh, Susan Greenhall's work and follow her and support her at uh, on the Twitters at S.E. Greenhall. And, of course, over at FreeSpeechForPeople.org. Susan, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Wendell Handy, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. Love to hear from you. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter, you will find me at the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we hopefully see you here tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com/slash donate.